Hello, and welcome to the BNY Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Shannon. Joining me is, I almost said the DM Peter Gorski, but he's not here. Uh, we have a unit named Mark Gorski. Hello. Hello. It's a weird day, Owen. Why is that? Not because we had a Nintendo Direct, not because any other particularly gaming-related thing, but just I took a Lyft ride home from work today just because I wanted to get home early enough for the Direct, make sure I could watch it live. And just as I'm two blocks away from coming home, my Lyft driver is at a red light and just kind of turns at me and says, So, Mark, addresses me by my first name. We were not talking at all the ride. He's like, How do you feel? that about how you're paying to support the Ukraine-Russian war. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Is is my Lyft money going towards supporting D- this Does war? he like, know no? that you're about to buy Atomic Heart? No. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even know about Advance Wars. Today. He didn't know what was about to happen. But uh, I, I just tell the guy, I just like... I, yeah, Russia shouldn't be doing that. I'd, I'd like, I don't mind my taxpayer dollars going towards this, I guess. And he's like, okay, all right. And then doesn't say anything for the rest of the ride. And I go home and just kind of brushed off that off and just thinking this was a really, really strange interaction I had today. Uh, now, I I want to give some respect to this guy in that he just backed off when he didn't get the answer he wanted. Uh-huh. He he definitely he was hoping to just like talk shit about the government with you. And once you didn't give him the response that he wanted, it was just like, okay. Interesting. That doesn't happen very often anymore. Yeah. Um But uh you should have told him that there's this video game coming out that Twitter, I don't know, with Atomic Heart, Twitter is claiming that it's going straight to Putin. I'm not even sure if that's true. But uh, that's an interesting lift ride. I'm glad Mm. I wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, it's a memorable day for more reasons than one now. All right, everyone. We missed last week. Sorry about that. Um, I've explained it time and time again, but if a conflict arises... There's very few alternative times to record. We are but normal people. But we're here today with no Peter because Peter's in New York City. And we're still going to talk about video games. I don't know if this will be a patented Owen and Mark pretentious episode. It's possible. There are definitely elements that could come up that will make it that. But for the most part, we just plan on talking about the Nintendo Direct today and some future of the Switch stuff, as well as uh, I would guess it's probably a final look at some of the Hogwarts Legacy drama now that the game is finally coming out. And we're going to talk about what we've been playing. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it this Nintendo Direct. Mark, uh, well, actually, you know what? Peter, he sent some things that he wanted relayed, and he can be the first one to give his Nintendo Direct review because he said um, his main Direct thoughts is that it was a 6 out of 10. Pikmin 4 looks great. There is way too much fluff, and I demand they stop showing one bad Disney Direct. 
one bad Disney game every direct. So those are Peter's thoughts. I thought he was a little harsh on this one personally, but you know, I'm the one who constantly gets big dicked about not being as big of a Nintendo fan. So Mark, I'm interested what your thoughts were on the direct and what your thoughts are on Peter's thoughts. I mean, I kind of expect it from Peter at this point when he sees a direct, if he doesn't, if something isn't like super like huge reveal, we didn't know something was going to be there. I'm immense surprise or it's a game that's specifically, even if it's a game that specifically speaks, I mean, it has to be, it has to set the world on fire to Peter to really like impress him. And that's not what I think I need from a Nintendo direct. I think I just need a couple things specifically for me. Cause that's, that's what Nintendo does gives things gives me things that I specifically want a lot of the time. And this direct was definitely one of those things. I, I came into this direct wanting just two things and I certainly got one of them and I kind of half got the other. And those two things were, I wanted to see the final story DLC for Xenoblade and we got it. And it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I'm happy about that. Um, and then I wanted a tears of the kingdom trailer that was going to be, uh, attempting to be on the same level as the final trailer for breath of the wild and this was a nice trailer but i don't think it was on there which was a little bit of a bummer but tears of the kingdom is going to be a great game so i can't be too upset and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff sprinkled throughout which i think was really really cool stuff that i will get stuff that i won't get i uh well first off i i want a score out of 10 peter started the score out of 10 let's hear it okay eight out of 10 is what i would have given it Okay, yeah, I'm a little more in line with you. I I thought it was like a 7.5 to an 8, mainly just because like we knew about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless, not Samba de Amigo, though. We did not know about we Samba de Amigo. We did not know about Samba de Amigo. You're right. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm surprised that Pikmin 4 got a July release date. I, I was eyeing it the other day and fantasy critically <laughs> thinking like you know what maybe maybe this is counterpickable and thank god i didn't mm-hmm. and that game looks great um did did james on the note of the the fantasy draft did james actually counterpick one of my picks the other day uh what one did he try to counterpick i i should know this off the top of my head oh was it final fantasy final fantasy 14, 14 dlc yes uh, did he say why? I'm sure he said why. He looked into their like current, uh, I want to say like patch updates or something, and the current stuff is scheduled to be updated through like November. Oh, so educated guess on his part, probably a pretty good one. That's um, probably not happening. I've I'm starting to lose a lot of morale like very quickly on my draft picks, and I think I need to put a new team together pretty quickly because I'm sitting with a lot of a lot of maybes and a couple of noes. <laughs> really, I'm I'm surprised you've cooled on it that quickly. I don't know. I'm scared. I saw Joe. I mean, Joe's got a couple of mid 80s right now, and that is scaring me right now. Granted, I have a low 80, I guess, with Fire Emblem. I don't know if it's gone up actually. Probably not. Um, I made the mistake last year of picking all of the like early year games because I, I got I got too excited. I just wanted to see what my team was going to look like right away. Not to say I didn't believe in the games I was picking, but um, mm-hmm. 
I was definitely more calculated about spacing out my team a little bit more this year so that I would have more time to make decisions. Uh, Joe of Dad Hawk Games, he has Hogwarts Legacy at an 86 currently, and then he has the game Season A Letter to the Future. That's only a 77. So okay, probably would have hoped to get that three extra points. Um, luckily for us, he didn't. You got an 81 on Engage, uh, and you have two games that have been counterpicked. Yeah, two z- not two zeros, but one zero probably, and unbeatable. I have taken a bit of a closer look into the Kickstarter, and it does not sound... They, they haven't flat out said it's not coming out this year, but they have not really followed up on... Uh, a strong feeling that it's going to launch this year either so i don't know what's going to happen i'm confident that game's going to be very good when it comes out but maybe it's really not maybe it's not time yet still um yeah uh, betting it all on an obscure kickstarter game is is a tough thing to do mm-hmm. um well i hope that they find their way but i also hope that it doesn't come out, so then I can get a zero on my counterpick against it. Fine. That is how it is. I'll find something to counterpick on your list. Don't, don't you worry. I'm looking. Oh, I I know people are looking, um, and I'm, I'm trying to take precautions. <laughs> um, what were we even talking about? The Nintendo Direct. Uh, Nintendo Direct, of course. So, I was saying, I, I was in the 7.5 to 8 range, because even when we know what to expect, I still like to see it. I I, I think if if we're going to continue just lobbing things over at Peter, does he always like to see it? I don't think he does. Unless it like really blows him away. But um, the game I don't like to see, that I just think looks really bad, is that Bayonetta Origins game. It's just very different than what Bayonetta normally is. It's very different. And did I watch that trailer correctly in that you're a support character the whole game? Yeah, it seems like it. That's the part that makes me the most interested in trying that. Of of course it does, because you see oddball stuff and and think, look, ooh, maybe that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But but like the reality is, is that that is boring. If you're a support character, the entire duration of a single player game. It makes me think like, what if the last guardian was a top down Zelda game? And that's what the combination seems like to me, which is a, it can be a fun pitch. If you like, uh, AI companions in games, it's kind of like your demon pet almost. So some people, pet people, I think will love this game, right? Um, maybe, I think pet people have a better chance of liking Pikmin 4. Maybe. I we, mean, we got a dog in Pikmin 4. We, can the dog die, though? All hundreds, if every like, Pikmin can die, can the dog die? That's a very important question, and that will really decide if this is a pet people kind of game or not. I'm going to guess either no or like it can but it'll respawn after like a cooldown or something Mm -hmm. 
Um, I guess just getting knocked out for a bit. But I, I don't know if they would commit to, to killing the dog. Yeah, and it seems like the dog is like a pretty uh, crucial gameplay mechanic for the new game. Mm-hmm. Did you think that this trailer looked too good? Like from a fidelity standpoint? Because I kind of did. Uh, I didn't think it looked too good. It looked like a Switch game. Like it ran at a stable frame rate, so that's always nice to see for the Switch in 2023. But Pikmin, I feel like, has always kind of had this really nice, colorful, glossy look to it since Pikmin 3. And this is just that on Switch, I guess. Even though we do have Pikmin 3 Deluxe on Switch, but it's it. I I think it looks like what I think Pikmin would look like. The biggest. My biggest takeaway is just the camera angle. It's just that it's not just top down. Now it is you move the camera around. Yeah, full third person. And that is very cool to me. I think I'm going to be able to determine if it looked too good pretty soon because I think I should start up Pikmin Three Deluxe and try and mm-hmm. try and beat that before July. Um, and I'm in need of a Switch game currently. I'll get to that a little bit later. I teased it two weeks ago. But playing a Switch game, and uh, I'm going to need a new one soon. So, I think we should shout out, I should shout out, my former team member, Advance Wars, is finally coming out in April. Uh, War in the world is not over, and that was even reconfirmed to you by a Lyft driver today, yet Advance Wars (laughs) is still coming out kind of a kind of a curious situation um mm-hmm. i don't know uh, you're not gonna play this game right because you're worried that it will end the fire emblem series yes i'm still worried about that don't you think that's fear-mongering uh a little bit but so long as fire emblem wins i'll do what i have to do owen engage seems to be doing just fine i'm sure it's selling plenty I mean, not just is it doing fine, but the things I was worried Fire Emblem would like be losing at its core is like what Engage is doing at its core. All cylinders going. It's all about the tactic. It's all about the gameplay. And I thought we we're going to go down a more three houses routes, focus on the social elements. And it does not seem like that is happening. So reasonably, I shouldn't be afraid that Advance Wars is going to take down Fire Emblem. But this could just be a one-off. This could be one game. The Three Houses fans, they can be vocal. We might be going back down that path again. It's it's too soon. Is it that they actively didn't go down the Three Houses path, or did they just make a bad like narrative uh, side to the game? I, I refuse to believe they thought they were making something special like Three Houses. Not that Three Houses is like the most special Fire Emblem, but the fact that there's four different story routes you can kind of go through is all a whole... I feel like the world is very well developed to an extent in Three Houses, and this world is very much cookie-cutter. There are four nations. They all have an archetype of what every person from that nation is kind of like. And... It goes from there. There is a bad dragon. There is a good dragon. It is so extremely vanilla. I know Peter is even just messaging me on the side while he's playing it right now. Um, just talking about how parts of the story are just hurting him inside. And I just keep telling him, <laughs> push through. Keep pushing through. There's one character that's like 
uh, a retainer for the main character. And she is just so obsessed with him. And she even in supports and side stuff, she's literally running a fan club for this character. D- uh, don't they have some stupid name for you in the game? The div- uh, Divine One. You are the Divine, divine Dragon. So, so even though in the text box it says your name because you can just type in whatever name, it always just says Divine One. Oh, Divine One. Which, <laughs> like... <laughs> isn't isn't great it kind of gets uh <laughs> jarring after a while but you're you're the caring the main character is a god i guess so it's like when they, you, they you could have just up, come up with something else they could have they could have stuck with just a canon name also but even though there is a canon name for the character but just like we do with robin we have corin and even byleth has a canon name but in link uh link as well uh three houses you're just professor and it works very well. You're just their teacher. So it makes I, sense that um, a professor. That's fair enough on the professor one. But um, I'm a big fan of just just use the canon name. Stop having me input my own name if mm-hmm. it actually has no bearing on anything. I don't want it. Um, especially if they're going to come up with something stupid like calling you divine one in every sentence. Mm-hmm. Not, I wouldn't say it's like every sentence, but like it's it's if a character is talking to you, they probably have said divine one. So most most sentences probably is fair. But we're gonna talk about more Fire Emblem later because we still gotta talk about this direct. Oh, and what was your? Do you think you could put two, three favorite reveals or things shown here? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have exactly three of them that were my favorite. Um, what do we got? The most boring one, which I think we should just address at the end of this conversation, um, was Zelda. And boring's insulting. I, I enjoyed the trailer. But like we mm-hmm. knew we were going to get a Zelda trailer, and we did. And now it's just about anticipating Zelda. Um, mm-hmm. But still very excited about that. I give... I'm somewhat in agreement with you on the trailer left a little bit to be desired, but it's literally only because I'm comparing it to that old, the the final trailer for Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure. In fact, I would say the trailer doesn't indicate anything about the quality of the game. It was just that that final trailer of Breath of the Wild was just really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this new trailer just looks like it. All that I can say from the new trailer is that it really just looks like Breath of the Wild again, but with some new enemies and some new mechanics. Okay, let's That's- just. Uh, I wanted to try and pace it out, but let's just get it out of the way now. How do you feel? About it being Legend of Zelda nuts and bolts, apparently. Uh, I think it could be cool. I mean, I feel like this kind of stems from the fact that like early on in Breath of the Wild, people were like manipulating minecarts to fly around the whole world. I think the devs saw that and just like, well, what if we just made that a part of the game? And lo and behold, we have a hot air balloon. We just have a flat out. I don't know if I could, calling it a plane maybe isn't accurate, but like it's a flying machine. And then I guess there's also just a car. Why not have the car? We had the motorcycle I think before. It looks awesome. 
And I hope that what they're showing is kind of a thing of like, you build these things on your own because I, I've never even tried it. I've always wanted to play Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts. I have no idea why it's just always seemed cool to me. And I want to play that specifically, but not other banjo games. No, because the other banjo games are just, they're just 3d platformers. And if I'm in the mood for a 3d platformer one day, maybe I'll go for banjo Kazooie, but banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts is a completely different thing. I, I've always thought that from afar, the vehicle creation thing seemed really cool. And this Zelda trailer has awoken the nuts and bolts hive on Twitter that are all saying like, Oh, now that Zelda does it, it's cool. Huh? Well, we thought mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. <laughs> I, mean, I know from what I've heard of nuts and bolts, it's like they build like these empty worlds that almost are built. Like they're supposed to be collectathon levels, like in past banjo games, but you just kind of drive all over them. You don't actually play as banjo and, Maybe that's a big part of it. I don't know. I'd I'd be curious to watch somebody play. That's now I don't. I don't, I, don't I don't doubt that if you're a Banjo Kazooie fan, you would be disappointed by nuts and bolts. But are we sure? Are we positive that nuts and bolts isn't a good game in its own right? If it was divorced from the Banjo Kazooie. Title. I won't say it's. I won't say it's impossible. Could be a really cool game in there. No one's there driving. Game club. That's such a bag. Oh, that that would be an interesting one to try out. But um, I feel like it has full potential to be the next Rayman Legends. Oh, Rayman. absolutely, absolutely. The thing we just tee up to be this cool new thing we're gonna try, and then everyone just isn't necessarily feeling it which speaking of temperature check have you touched rayman legends oh no no i i haven't touched it since november okay i haven't touched it since december um yeah i i think we should just forfeit that one although peter will be really mad at us because he already beat it mm-hmm. um i i am close-ish to beating it so i don't know if i want to say forfeit but i i i think i beat the first world not first level first world like i went through all Mm -hmm. the paintings of it but um so you got one boss fight done i think so yeah and it's a good game i mean i i i wouldn't deny that it's a good game i just don't really want to dedicate my time to it right now Mm mm-hmm um but uh back to the direct my one question on zelda is what do you i i need to i need to preface it more there is no doubt that this game will be great like that's that's the floor for a zelda game at this point Mm mm-hmm do you expect this to be the type of game that is it always going to be in the shadow of Breath of the Wild or will it be a Majora's Mask type that really 
kind of uh, generates somewhat of a cult fanhood, takes some interesting steps that won't work for everyone, but it'll work really well for a lot of people. What's your temperature check on it? I mean, my temperature check is that it's not going to be so much like a Majora's Mask to Ocarina. It's going to be a Mario Galaxy 2 to Mario Galaxy 1, where it literally is just we are building on it and doing more, where Majora's Mask was we are taking everything from that game and just kind of using it to make a different game. And they're not really making a different game, from what we can tell, unless if they really are being secretive of some of the stuff you have to do in that game, which really they kind of are. At this point for Breath of the Wild, we understood we could go to the castle immediately and go finish the game. We knew we just had to go out there and find something and then go to the castle. And this, our, the objective for Tears of the Kingdom really isn't clear. And that's what's ex- something that's uh, still exciting to me because the biggest letdowns, the reveals for Tears of the Kingdom have uh that i've had with the game is is that when they initially revealed the title and i didn't like it because they specifically said they wanted to hold it off because they said the title was going to be a bit spoilery and i'm just like oh they want to take it seriously here in the story in this game and maybe we're going to really talk about the timeline for a second and here we are getting to this trailer and i'm thinking okay maybe now we kind of see more of the, the the narrative uh but you you you've been talking about this a lot and um I, we may have had this exact same conversation but I, I always go back to like what what did you think it was gonna be uh, you thought the title was gonna talk about the timeline like what the legend of the zelda it's it's all one timeline you thought that was gonna be the name of it I didn't know what it was going to be, but I trusted them to do something really cool with it. And Tears of the Kingdom is not a bad title, but it is not... I think it's a good title. It wasn't the home run I was hoping it would be, Um, but it's a good title. I can't say it's not. Even from title perspective, it's hard to top Breath of the Wild. I think Mm -hmm. Tears of the Kingdom is a strong title, especially if... Now, the trailers indicate this. This is more what I mean when I say uh, Majora's Mask to Ocarina of Time. I'm not talking about game design. I'm talking about tone. They seem to be indicating that there's a darker tone to this one. Uh, we still don't like know any details back. to it. That They are holding back. But why do they have to tell us anything? We're going to play the new Zelda game. You're not wrong. And that's really what my expectation is, is that this game, no matter how I feel about it going into it, it's going to hit me like a truck because I trust this game is going to be another 10 out of 10 or a high 9 out of 10 masterpiece. And I, they don't owe it to me to sell me on the game. They just got to tell me it's Breath of the Wild again. You're going to like it. And I flat out will probably just like it if I can play and mess around the same way I did before. But the hype isn't there. It's just kind of like blind trust, but like trust that i know will catch me no matter what but i just kind of want just kind of want a little bit more of a peek behind the curtain you know i'm just yeah something more to chew on you know i get that desire but when this game is a week out i i think i might be like losing my mind a little bit because i'll really want it Mm -hmm. i will not be able to sleep like the nights prior to this release it is going to be a completely different experience than 
And then just the one I, I would say I'll probably be as excited as I was the second they announced it. You know, like it's it's going to be a crazy week when that comes. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't play it for 27 hours straight. Uh, I, I'm advising you not to. I will try my best. But um, yeah, Zelda will obviously be great. We got another taste of it today. Uh, you asked my two to three things to point out. Mm-hmm. I have three total. Zelda was the first one. Second one I'm going to say is Metroid Prime Remastered. Okay. Um. Now, a, a trilogy remaster has always been rumored. I'll take just one. That's, that's fine by me. I have always thought that the Metroid Prime game seemed right up my alley. And I'm really happy that there's finally a way to play at least the first one. I don't know when I'm going to get around to this because it was shadow drop today, but uh, this was the, there were two big shock announcements and this was one of them for me. Um, I want to continue increasing my Metroid fanhood because the more I think about dread, the more I think that game was really great. That There was a moment you, you like stepped away to go to the bathroom or something, or maybe we didn't start recording yet and you weren't around. But me and Peter were just talking randomly. It's like, man, you know what game was really good? Metroid Dread. And it's a game that has just aged really well in my mind. And I mm-hmm. kind of think that that would be the case for a lot of the Metroid games. Now that I'm opened up to what they are, I want to experience more, and now I finally get the opportunity with Metroid Prime. I'll be curious to see what your take is on Prime, because as time's gone on, I've appreciated the Prime games more, but also as time's gone on, I have liked Dread less and less, and I also wasn't like huge on it when it began, like when it came out also. Which, I, just, I mean, I just never understood what your issue was with Dread. I can't even say I fully understand what it is, but I just know I remember the boss fights. I remember the Emmys. And that's it. The rest of the game just kind of falls flat where I feel like the backtracking is not as fun, like going around the world and like kind of connecting all the pieces of finding one thing and moving back uh, and knowing where that puzzle piece ultimately fits into. I just feel like there wasn't a lot of that. Uh, a lot of it kind of felt more streamlined. And one of the things I like about Prime is just like you have to get very familiar with the map because once you kind of get like one item, uh, you'll have to go all the way back to like a completely different region where you know you might need, say, like whatever it is, the wave beam, the ice missile, whatever you just got. Uh, and because uh, Prime is just so atmospheric and so quiet, not that Dread isn't. Dread pretty quiet, but they have cutscenes in that game which was a big thing being one of the first times we really kind of had regular cutscenes in a metroid game uh prime just never really kind of had any of that prime is really quiet silent you're alone just with your own thoughts and the beautiful atmospheric music and world of metroid prime but uh it's definitely different definitely different from dread and I'd be curious to see what your take is because i assume you're going to play it before the end of the year right um i mean we'll see this is a pretty packed year this could um, be a cool game club game, even though I've played it before. I am actually 100% on 
on board for that. And I actually think Peter would be too. I think he would too. We might be able to uh, push for this one. My only feelings on the the Prime announcement is I'm glad because this is a milestone for the timeline of Prime 4. I feel like we needed to cross this threshold to make uh, the Prime 4 release actually feel kind of, you know, soon. Sooner than just uh, a game that doesn't exist, a game that started development over. But the negative side of that is that as far as a Prime trilogy getting remade, uh, I've never played two, so I'm dying to see that one get uh, remade just so I can kind of play it. Uh, And I like Prime 3 more than Prime 1, and I've always wanted to replay that game for the longest time. So Prime 1 is like the the last of... Like, like, is the back of the line uh, in terms of Prime games that I'd want to play, whether it's replaying or for the first time. So it was a bit of a bummer that this is the only one, but still very cool that it's finally happening my last thing on metroid is that i think on a meta level what i find so cool about metroid is that they are games that basically teach you about game design and level design just Mm -hmm. by by the structure of them of uh, needing to come across challenges say i'm not going to take that on now i'm going to explore find what i need and then you can overcome that challenge i just think it's it's very much a uh a great series for anyone that has any interest in how levels are designed mm-hmm. and have i you think ever seen oh, i was gonna say and the... i think the prime games are are perfect for mm-hmm. that have you seen the maps in a Prime game before? I believe I have, but whatever you're about to say about the maps, I haven't retained. Okay, because they're, they're maybe weird and harder to kind of wrap your head around. They're not like impossible or difficult, but they can be kind of weird. I I don't have a problem with them, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people try this game, look at the map, and get lost looking at it. And if you can't trust your map in a Metroidvania... I feel like you're in for a world of hurt because that just sounds like pain, just getting lost over and over and over again. Yeah, we'll see. Possibly with Game Club. All right. For sure. Third. The third uh, one is the addition of Game Boy and Game Boy, Game Boy Advance to Nintendo Online. Okay. Um, I thought this was super exciting. And it's... It's exciting from a I'm glad it's an option standpoint. I'm not booting up my Switch today to play some Game Boy games. But um, I'm just thrilled to see them continuing to expand their classic games library. And I was not overly pumped about the Game Boy announcement because I was thinking about it. I I don't even think... My brothers had Game Boys, but I never had a Game Boy. I I started with an advanced because that that's just what my age was. Um so when they made the advanced announcement, that's when I really popped off of like, okay, now this is awesome. And it was also awesome to continue what we were just talking about to see that one of the upcoming games will be Metroid Fusion, a game I've mm-hmm. always wanted to play. Uh, That's very cool. Metroid 2, also a part of the uh, the Game Boy collection, I believe. Yeah. 
not as cool, but technically with that, you would be able to play uh, Super Metroid Sonic. You would be able to play the entire mainline Metroid franchise on the Switch, which is kind of crazy. Even though you it would you'd be crazy to try to play Metroid 2 instead of Samus Returns just because of the sheer amount uh, of quality true. of life updates. True. Um, I uh, I never considered that, but I, I almost even forgot that like Super Metroid is on, what, the SNES? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our... our what about... Uh, where's Metroid 1? Is that Metroid, the NES? No Metroid way. 1 is the... It is the NES. That wow. is, a, I think, an 87 or 88 game. But just like uh, same as... Or Samus Returns, I think in time uh, they they did a remake for the first Metroid Zero Mission on the GBA. It would make sense that they would shortly bring that, or at some point bring that over to the uh, service as well. I don't know when. I don't know how high of a priority that would be, but uh, that is definitely the better version of that game by a landslide, from what I can tell. Um. Yeah, then I, I'm not sure if I'm going to do an entire series playthrough or if I would even play them through in order. Like, I would be, mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't be shocked if the next 2D Metroid game I play is is a uh, fusion. I mean, I started with the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, those were the things that got me excited. Anything that I didn't say that you had? Um, I mentioned Xenoblade Chronicles, the DLC. There, it looks like. Uh, I was hoping for a prequel DLC, and I'm fairly confident that's exactly what we're getting, a prequel DLC, uh, following a storyline that I was really hoping that they were going to try to do, because we're only getting one story DLC for Xenoblade 3, so it had to be perfect. It had to be, uh, this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Xenoblade, where the stars are aligned to do a story that has a, a large cast of Xenoblade characters and to do it right and to do it where it doesn't feel like it's not canon. Uh, and they're taking it up right here. So I'm extremely excited for that. Tears of the Kingdom, I said I'm excited for. Um, big thing. One of the biggest surprises for me that I'm super happy is going to happen is We Love Katamari is getting ported to the Switch. And I'm probably going to hop on that very quickly once it launches. Really? Which is in June. Oh, yeah. I was a huge fan of Katamari Damacy when that got ported to Switch. I only I played it very quickly. I, I think it was only like six hours, and I put like maybe eight hours into it. But I love, love, love it. I love the soundtrack to these games. So I don't know if there's some song in there that I don't know about that's going to just take me by storm. But I trust these games. They are a lot, a lot of fun. But for a number three, I think the thing that really catches my eye um outside of say octopath traveler which like cool there's a demo um but we'll but we knew there's probably gonna be a demo the game comes out in a couple weeks i am very excited for the game but like did not blow me away uh the thing i would mention here is that don't not reveal the new game here and i think that's kind of cool i don't know a lot about it but uh, uh i'm curious wh- to see wh- where it is which one was that i didn't catch a donut a don't not thing Harmony, the Fall of Reverie. It's the oh, one where. Oh, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. I I know. Uh, Lena Rain is the composer for it, isn't she? Oh, is she? Yeah that that was one of the things that they noted. That stood out more to me than uh, 
oh than whatever Donut did. I didn't even hear that. Now that now I'm definitely excited for this. Oh my gosh. It's I uh I was considering uh when I saw that game, which I thought looked solid. Um I was considering its fantasy critic prospects and I don't think it would be the best game to pick up. It's just too much of a risk. But it would be interesting to look at the games that Lena Rain has composed on. Because it seems like she's never composed on a bad game. There's one game she composed for that kind of was super under the, the radar. But I don't think it reviewed very well. It's like Moonfall something. Moonlight. Moonglow Bay, that's what it is. And I don't no, remember what wait. the critics were. I think that was like pretty well received let's get to the bottom of this to open critic here we go <laughs> by the time uh anyone is listening especially joe Moonglo or this game may not be available <laughs> for the draft anymore because it could be a race because i've definitely been thinking about it too and this could be the deciding factor even though oh, and you're full at this point right yeah but i i won't be for much longer okay Moonglow bay on open critic did have a 74 uh okay i mean not so the not, worst thing not i mean four points is not very oh, good not, i mean not for the game itself but yeah draft, not good no. for for the draft but uh we have celeste i don't know what one knowing is <gasps> i know what that is that's not a game that's just uh an album i think she oh okay okay um then chicory of course gotta love chicory then she has some minecraft music and moon glow wet so a good track record i've not really even listened to the soundtrack of this game because i wondered if maybe i would play it but i don't know if that's ever actually going to happen so maybe i will just take a dive into it moon glow bay that is the soundtrack, not the actual game. Just yeah, no. I mean, it's just them. a fishing game. You don't need to play it. You can just listen to the music if you fair, want to. Fair, it's fair. Um, no disrespect to fishing games, but I, I just don't think it's what you want to be spending your time doing. Mm-hmm. I know we have a listener who's a big fishing game person, so I will respect. I'll put respect in the name of a good fishing. Oh, game, but uh, I don't know. And, if I'm looking for it, and it, it's worthy of respect. I I came off way too flippant. And for that, I apologize. But, yeah. Um, anything else catch your eye in this direct? Um, I, like, I'm i interested, just the, even though I just asked you a question, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, my game on my team, Sea of Stars, has a demo yeah. out. Um, I think that game looks really good. I'm not sure if it's my type of game because it's more of a old school 2D JRPG. Um, I'll be interested to see what the reception of the demo is like. Hopefully, I'm good. I'm still bothered hearing you say your game Sea of Stars, uh, a game yes. I had lost because I was definitely going to pick it the next round after you picked it, so I was very, very upset. Of all the games I didn't get to pick, that's the one that hurts me the most that isn't on my team. Do you have any plans of playing that game? I will play it day one, actually. Wow, day one. That's a day one purchase for me. That game looks super cool. 
Did you ever play the messenger? I didn't. I didn't. I, but I hear. Isn't... I hear that game is awesome. I've heard good things about it too, but like it's not like the messenger wasn't a genre of game that I felt like I really really wanted to. This one just seems like it's going to be a really cool JRPG, and I think the real deciding factor is how burnt out I am on JRPGs or RPGs in general at that point because. Assuming I've completed every other game that I want to play this year, that means Fire Emblem will be done, Octopath will be done, Final Fantasy uh, 16 will be done. Not that XCOM is a JRPG, but hopefully I'm finished with that at that point too. And at some point I also wanted to play Tactics Ogre as well from last year, and I don't know... That's a lot of RPG to fit into this year that I might be a little bit burnt out on it to actually play it. It's not at the very top of the list. I'd rather play, I think, I mean, I'd rather play Sea of Stars than XCOM, but my hands are tied there. Uh, it could just be too much. We'll see as we get closer to it, though. Um, I, th- I think uh, Tactics Ogre could probably take a backseat. Maybe. I mean, especially with where I'm at with Fire Emblem right now, and XCOM still has to be played. Specifically, maybe I want to break from tactics games right yeah. now. Yeah, very fair. Um, XCOM, I, I just keep wanting to like secretly start it so that I have a little bit of a head start mm-hmm. on people. But um, no, I'm definitely... I'll, I'll play the meta game with you all and, and play it along with everyone. I'm thinking March. March would be a good time because I don't think there's any March game where I'll die to play unless I I know Redfall got a release date, but I don't know when that it's is. May actually. I believe? May? No way! I think so. That's a death sentence. What are they doing? Um, that game is not one I'm particularly interested in. Even though I've been a fan of Arcane in the past, I'll be interested to see how it's received. Redfall does not. Mm-hmm. Seem to be going in a direction that I like very much. It comes out ten days before Tears of the Kingdom. Game Pass game. I mean, it's a has, a, it has a chance of of uh, getting a little bit of an audience before oh. Zelda. Um, oh, one thing I this is a quick aside. I'm sick of hearing is the whole idea of like, oh well these two games can come out at the same time because they have different audiences. And when it comes to like small to mid-sized games, that can be true. But I think for the most part, the big games just always pull people away. So the, the example I always point to is people have said, oh, well, it doesn't matter that uh, Halo Infinite came out like less than a month after Forza Horizon 5. It doesn't matter because that's different audiences. But myself and many other people I know were playing Horizon 5 and then stopped playing it because Halo Infinite came out. (laughs) So if a ton of people that I know have this experience, it can't be an insignificant number of players. Mm Mm-hmm that they lost because they did that. I mean, even I think of like Twitch, right? Cause one of the, the best things of, for press that any game can get is just everyone is streaming and talking about your game. 
sure, maybe people will be streaming and talking about Redfall for a week, but you know people are only going to be talking about Tears of the Kingdom the second week of May. Yeah. it's That's just it. And then it'll be in the past, and everyone will probably forget about it, unless if they have some killer post-launch support, which it maybe will win Best Community Management for or Best Ongoing Game. Who's to say? If, yeah, if yeah, your maybe. It's survive possible. that storm, who's to say? But I... I don't have that kind of faith in it, but I, I would try that on Game Pass that week. I just say, to see what's up. I just think uh, people underrate how much release dates actually matter. It matters when a game comes out. Sure, oh, yeah. if if a game is good enough, it can have a long tail and it can get rediscovered later on. Uh, but that's very rare. Um, so. Just don't release around. Don't release around Zelda. Don't release around GTA. Don't release around. Heck, probably don't release around Starfield. Like, just don't do it. These are mm-hmm. the type of games that pull people away from whatever they were paying attention to beforehand. Uh, this is a year that is tough because a lot of those type of games are coming out. But that's my advice to. Uh, people that are aspiring to release their games. My question on this Nintendo Direct, was it the final one of the Nintendo Switch era? No, we'll have a Fall Direct probably. Or Will that Fall Direct not be revealing new hardware? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like they're not... I had heard from a podcast that one of the reasons Nintendo decided to not show up at E3 is that it just does not fall in line with their schedule for the year. Because which, specifically, they don't have anything releasing in the second half of the year. They really don't, which is kind of telling. Why they have... If they wanted to space stuff out and have a full year of content instead of isolating everything to the first half, like Pikmin 4... Uh, Metro Prime Remaster, Advance Wars, Zelda. You you could space out games like that, and everyone would finish the year saying like, "Yeah, solid Nintendo year." Uh, but they're not doing that, and that's curious to me. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing I can think of, we didn't see any Pokemon in this direct because Pokemon Day is at the end of the month and. Pokemon in the past couple years has always just kind of done their own thing. They do their own presentation. So maybe there's something there that we see for later in the year, which I would imagine is just um, an expansion for Scarlet and Violet, which could still be big enough, you know, to merit like a major fall release for Nintendo. I'd, I'd buy that, but it's, it's not, it's not a console pusher at that point, but I I really do think I know it was one of Peter's big takeaways. Uh definitely on my mind that it's it's uh I think almost clear that the switch is on its way out. More more so uh with every like major news update with the, the console and what games they're putting out. I completely agree. This felt like a a final direct in some ways it felt like a we're clearing the chamber type of thing this is everything that has been on the backlog left for us to release here it is Mm -hmm. 
And I am, are you more excited or more scared for the future Nintendo console? I am filled with hope that Nintendo could not uh, do a second Wii U. Like, I don't think it's possible. I don't think they would walk into that again. Uh, So I think whatever is next is going to, I think it will double down on the Switch in the right ways. And maybe they call it a Super Switch. I don't think they call it the Switch 2. But you have to imagine that we're not going back to split uh, console and handheld. It has to stay this way because that's just why the Switch got as big as it was. Exactly. There is potential of calling it the new Nintendo Switch, which would be a disaster. They would be crazy. They would have learned nothing. Reggie would go back to Nintendo and personally hit everybody who was a part of that decision and leave. Um, I... I think I'm more scared, <laughs> though. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the other thing that that kind of scares me beyond their hardware decisions is they topped, they debatably released the best game in every series they have on the Switch. Um, I'm not going to go down one by one, but uh, I don't think that's an absurd statement to make, but you can argue a couple different series uh and now it's the prospect of just trying to run it back trying to do that again that that's a little scary for for the future hardware here since the switch just had so much success mm-hmm. i mean even on the wii u which switches a lot of ports i feel like there's a lot of series you could point to that had not ex- like as a not not as like definitive in a way, but like we had some amazing titles from like Tropical Freeze, Mario Maker was a really cool breakthrough. Breath of the Wild still technically on the Wii U. Yeah, but that that got that got adopted as a Switch game. It it was a Switch launch game that came out it's, at the same time. It's true, but I don't think it was. From the get-go, it wasn't planned to be, but just eventually made its way over to Switch also just because they had to abandon ship, which which was the right decision, of course. But, uh, like, but, you're, you're trying to do a Wii U defense here. Beyond Tropical Freeze, 3D World, Mario Maker, um, I'm not going to give you a Breath of the Wild, and they started Splatoon. Beyond those games... I mean that 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 was a pretty easy library to top. Mario Kart Eight also in there, which Mario Kart Eight. Kind of... Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I would put Nintendo Land in there as well, and then you could also look at the Wii's library as well, which also has some big hitters. We have Smash Four, uh, which is also, uh, right now Smash Four still feels like really negligible, just because it feels like vanilla Ultimate. You know, yeah. Like it, I don't think it'll ever escape that reputation, but at the time, still amazing. Yeah, no, I loved, I loved Smash Four. Um, as far as talking about like actual noteworthy things, I know that you and Peter are big Nintendo Land guys. Unfortunately, Nintendo Land is just a nice thing. Yeah, like I, like, I haven't. Uh, I haven't mentioned Xenoblade X either. Oh, well, I, that, I, that's a significant one. That's a, a significant one that I forgot. Okay. 
I mean, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I could also throw in the fire there, too. A, a good game as well, but Xenoblade X, I definitely think, is tears above that game. I wish you were telling me about these games when I had a Wii U. Because I, <laughs> I, I played, like, two games on it. I mean, most of them are here on the Switch, so, like, would you have rather have played them on the Wii U or on the Switch? Well, I had a Wii U for years that I was mad about never using. Fair. I, I'm not saying I wish you told me about this a year and a half ago. I'm saying I wish you told me this seven years ago. <laughs> I'm just saying right now, there's never been a better time to play Xenoblade Chronicles X. Uh, Actually, that, that's that, just not true because it's never been less accessible. That's true. How much does this game go for? Actually, it's if probably pretty expensive. Um, copy of this. I see one going for twenty-five dollars used at a local GameStop near us, but also going for seventy-eight dollars at a Walmart. <laughs> Do you own Xenoblade Chronicles X? I sure do own Xenoblade Chronicles okay, X. Okay. I, I was about to tell you, if you don't, you should like buy that $25 copy. I would absolutely consider it if I did not already. One of the things that's kind of unfortunate because the Wii U is going to go down. Um, Xenoblade X, when it launched, you had to download like a whole bunch of extra stuff uh, like that didn't fit on the disc to make the game just kind of run better. And once the eShop goes down, you're not going to be able to do that. You're only going to be playing a shitty version of Xenoblade X that just doesn't have the full game installed. And that's kind of awful. That's not good. Like, like going back to the Direct here, kind of weird, to me at least, that they chose to bring Bait and Kaidos to the Switch. Two GameCube games made by Monolith Soft. And they're bringing these games over. They're bringing two games over, but not Xenoblade Chronicles X. I think I think there's just hurdles for them, but I have no doubt it is in no one's best interest to have that game stranded on the Wii U. Mm-hmm. Is uh is Tokyo Mirage Sessions stranded on the Wii U or no? No, they brought it over to Switch already. Okay. A deluxe version called uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp Fe. Um, Xenoblade X is really one of the only uh, leftovers on the Wii U. I I struggled to think of almost any more. I just wish it's impossible to bring Nintendo Land over, but Xenoblade X and Nintendo Land are like the two big ones. Some would say Color Splash, uh, Paper Mario Color Splash, and Star Fox Zero. Some would fight for that, but I don't think uh, as someone who has not played either of those games. I don't think they're really the top priority, especially Star Fox Zero. Star Fox seems like it sucks. That's my hot take. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't like rail shooters either, so like Star Fox has never really grabbed me, but uh, that's the Wii U. I think as far as the Nintendo Directs come, or the, the Nintendo Direct conversation goes, I think we can get some closing thoughts on here. I think we've said all there is to say, really. Uh, my my closing is nothing new. I, I just think uh, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Always good to have I, a direct. A great direct where I did get a lot of what I wanted. 
but didn't get exactly what I want. Did did you hear about the the kid that like got arrested on like a false alarm because yes. of an email he sent about the Nintendo Direct? Yes, I did and I think it's funny, but also, what is this kid thinking sending this kind of letter? Okay, twenty twenty three. Maybe I'm I'm missing something, but he basically said, "Class should be can- canceled for the Nintendo Direct for the good of humanity." That's the quote I saw. Mm-hmm. In what world would that be interpreted as a threat? I'd I'd never would have interpreted it that way. Like, well, like. Uh, last thing before you add context, like I would never assume if, if those are the words that's being said to me, that it would be for the good of humanity, because otherwise this specific person will make humanity suffer. Like, I, I think that's a huge leap to take unless I'm missing something here. The letter specifically specified. Specifically, the letter specified uh, the time of the direct, saying like something is happening at this exact moment, and for the good of humanity, we should not be at school ultimately. So it never. Like, oh, okay. So it never like, said there's a Nintendo Direct. <laughs> okay, Nintendo okay. Direct was never mentioned in this, and the the police had to uh, figure out. Oh wait, this Nintendo Direct is also at the same time. Uh, the they they had a like a letter going out to the public saying that this kid made a quote unquote bad joke, uh, and is going to pay the consequences for it. And this the the police are still on high alert on the school just to be a hundred percent certain. Wow. Which um, like I mean you can't really joke around who is to say that it wasn't just that's true that's true I, I i i didn't realize it was it was written that vaguely um still i you know i think everything's fine i kind of so funny kind of funny we would we would have <laughs> if something had happened we would have heard about it by now yeah, so yeah, i think exactly. everyone is a okay <laughs> at this university what what do you think that guy gave the direct out of 10 I think he gave it a zero out of ten. <laughs> Damn. Um, all right. It's uh, time to talk about other controversial things as we talk about Hogwarts Legacy quick. It's in 86 on Open Critic, as we established. It's on Dad Hawk Games. But the question is, should we be canceling Dad Hawk Games for even having the game on his team to begin with? Uh, this game has had a bunch of controversy following it due to uh jk rowling's expressed opinions about transgender people and uh just kind of transgenderism in general and there's been an organized boycott things have gotten i would say a tad out of control to make the internet one of the worst places on the planet but a bunch of outlets handled it in different ways uh we can talk about i guess the state of the boycott and i don't know end it with if we're gonna play hogwarts legacy or not where do you want to start uh i could i think just kind of the reception uh the general reception uh, of like how people are kind of taking it online and treating other people like in maybe in the streamer space specifically i think is a fun place to start okay 
I would argue <laughs> it is not a fun place to start. True. Because uh, I, I, want, I want to actually preface this whole conversation that I've been personally fine with the boycott this entire time. When the idea first got pitched, like I align with this, uh, what is technically be, being considered like a, a more left wing view, I align with it. So I was thinking, like, oh, you know, like I kind of want to play this game, but maybe I'll buy it used because of this or something like that. Like that, that was my thought process, but not literally making it like a life or death decision. But many people on the internet have made this a life or death decision. Uh, and I've just seen aggressive tweet after aggressive tweet about how you're the worst person ever. And then every single response is about how the libs are going to be so fucking owned when I buy 10 copies of this game. It's turned into a total culture war thing. And the streamer aspect of it is, is uh, a side of it that makes the boycott side look especially bad as there's seemingly concentrated harassment efforts towards anyone streaming the game. There's a whole website about tracking who is streaming the game in some way. Uh, I, I look at all of this and think like, where did we go wrong? How did we get here? Because clearly this this is not having the effect that people think it's having but uh i'm curious what are your thoughts on it uh i think some of it is extreme and some of it is silly like i've seen on top of just people just like hopping into people's chats uh and just kind of like lashing out at people for playing the game on a lighter level i've just seen people post on social media like if i see you playing the wizard game i'm going to spoil it for you and I've seen, and I know the ending of the game now because I've been in a couple of comment sections just to be like, oh, I wonder if people are like actually like deliberately spoiling this game for people. And lo and behold, I've seen people go around spoiling the same couple of things and they really mean it. They're trying to ruin this experience for people who have crossed this. I don't know if picket line is necessarily appropriate, uh, but people yeah, are I think that's trying appropriate. To, I, it describes what I, you're trying to say. I would say so, yeah. Like people are trying to take this this boycotting situation very, very seriously. Uh and I know some people are pretty upset about that, of course. As I mean, if I was waiting for a game that I was super excited for and someone just shows up to spoil it, I I think I'd be upset about it too. And even that some streamers I've seen even just talking about how like they just feel like they're being bullied to the point where they cannot stream the game whatsoever. Uh which I, I I have mixed feelings on also where I feel like just because they can't stream the game, I think they're going to be just fine having not streamed it. Even if like it's one thing if they really wanted to play it, you know, different thing. But if like it's someone just like, oh, I want to stream this this game because everyone is playing it right now. I need to be playing it. I don't know. But I also, uh, there. isn't that the business of Twitch? It's like you play the popular game. It's true. I don't know how long it's going to be the popular game. I looked at it earlier just to see what kind of numbers it was bringing in on Twitch, and 
It is big. I think yeah. it was 700,000 people I saw viewing earlier today. It's hit over a million. It's been it's been big, to say the least. It is very big. Even just uh, on a local level, I found out a lot of my coworkers at work oh, are owning and playing this game, and they all are really, really into it. Like This game is huge, as huge as we thought it was really going to be. Uh, so I can understand... When it is that big, despite all of the, the, the lashing out, the attempts to inform people before that people are maybe so angry that uh, their efforts kind of just didn't really do much, didn't accomplish much. But at the same time, I th- we've even talked about this multiple times in the past where I like we understood how big this was going to be. I felt like it was really hard to kind of avoid unless you could really. Uh, catch jk rowling red-handed doing something specifically related to this game and on that note i don't think i'm getting my prediction by the way owen she has not tweeted about that game whatsoever right now <laughs> i went on to check about like what she's tweeting about like in the past three days absolutely nothing related to harry potter <laughs> i should have known better about this well has, really has she referenced a, a wizard game i don't think so she's talking about conflict uh in the middle east that's what she's talking about right now interesting um i don't know the this will be something to to study uh and discuss where where things went wrong because just the idea from the initial boycott just seemed like I don't know, generally a good thing for me. Some people were deciding that they had issues with what she was saying to the point that they couldn't enjoy Harry Potter anymore, and they were making that known. Totally, mm-hmm. totally cool. Um, I have full respect for that, and I think the best case scenario for that idea was never by the end of this JK Rowling will be living in a ditch that that was never i think somewhere along the lines that became the intent but that was never the reality and uh the effect could have just been raising awareness about these these views she was sharing uh and mm-hmm. and trying to explain to people why they're wrong uh because i i don't want this interpreted as a devil's advocate thing at all but like she poses everything that she says about this topic as if it's like an intellectual argument when really it's just going around the same like fear-mongering path that i don't know i mean majority of conservative commentators are going down as well uh so it's it's not something that the uninformed can easily look at and understand what is going on, but um, it's still something that's meaningful, and it's meaningful to bring attention to the fact that fear-mongering about a group of people is bad, and advocating for things limiting their rights is bad. Um but uh that being said all of this boycott turned into well 
if you log any achievement data of this game, you now have a scarlet letter, a scarlet letter of being a bigot. And that that approach was just never going to gain any allies. Mm-hmm. Like even the people who buy it used, who kind of tiptoed around it, took my advice early in the year. They're going to still be scarred for this. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. And um, I've I've even unfollowed some of these people that have taken this approach of like you're dead to me because I can't I can't show support for the way they're behaving even though the I align with them like it, it's just an unfortunate situation and I know Peter would agree with me if he was here where I am left wing I want I want left political candidates to win elections that I want actual changes to get made instead of just bloviating on Twitter about uh, a bunch of stuff. And it makes me mad when people on my side just give the other side ammunition. And I, I mean, if, if there is not, a Fox News headline already about how the left wants to take your Harry Potter away. What are they doing? Like it, it, it's one of the easiest things that they could do and point to some of these objectively mean people on Twitter. And this is not, I don't think this is the majority of people that are participating in the boycott, but there's some loud ones out there and you can find them really easily. Um, I'm just, I'm just not a fan of the whole situation. I just kind of rambled on there. That's fine. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a bad situation. I think I just think, uh, like I'm even scrolling through GameSpot because I specifically know they had a really cool approach to this where they they weren't sent a review copy. I don't know if they declined to accept one or not. Um, but they chose not to review it and just kind of had like uh, an article they'd posted in January on their, their front page. Which is a talking, good article. Which was really, really good article. We talked about it in the past. And just also providing links on where people can kind of support trains, uh, trans rights, trans movements, trans support lines. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. And I'm looking at their web main page. And you can kind of go to a tab of like popular posts. Of like what people are clicking on. I cannot find either of these posts in the popular. But I do see other articles that are guides for Hogwarts Legacy on GameSpot. Which like, even though they took that cool initial stance, they're still covering the game. I don't know what other sites are. I, I know not everyone was sent a copy. I was listening to a podcast earlier today and they were talking about, and I don't know how based by facts this really is about uh, PR deliberately not sending certain outlets uh, review copies because they understood who would or would not be saying good things about their game. That was, I, I believe I listened to the same podcast and it I seemed like it, it, it was conjecture uh uh-huh. maybe a guess I, i'm not sure if anyone could definitively say that was the case but um i really don't know uh 
the last thing I, I want to say about the boycott in general that, uh, and then we can get into how some of the outlets handled it. Um, I just think that unfortunately, because of the bad actors around this situation, I mean, this boycott probably sold more copies than it prevented from being sold. Um, And not for reasons I'm a fan of. Like, when when you get in the culture war situation, you invite the people that want that are willing to buy ten copies to own the libs. And I think, I think they got their full attention. I I think they not only brought more essentially marketing attention to the game, they also ignited the the rage of anyone that would uh, that would take the opposite approach. And it's unfortunate. It just really didn't work out at all. And all of that is to say 98% of these sales are from people that have no idea what's going on. They have no idea there there's any problem because they aren't chronically online. Um, so, yeah. If you see someone playing the game, just assume... They're a normal person that's not addicted to Twitter. Is that fair? I think so. I think uh, being able to tell the keyboard warriors from the non-keyboard warriors is a important thing going through all this. Um, did you see the IGN review of the game? I didn't read through it all, but I knew it was a hot target for all of this. It was. Um, did you see the little like uh, sidebar that they had relating to the situation? Was that the the one comment they kind of had about their approach to reviewing and covering the game? Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting how people received this one. Um, I actually think by by the time this episode is out, I'll I'll probably have a video out on it. Uh, because it has the statement in it. I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it's like, as critics, our job is to tell you whether Hogwarts Legacy is fun or not. Um, and I just thought it was interesting because, one, that's objectively like a funny statement. Mm-hmm. Like, somehow boiling down the job of a critic... And saying it's about whether something's fun is pretty funny. And that that's the thing that most people took issue with. Which is like, what a ridiculous thing to say. But also, in terms of IGN, is it wrong? Isn't like the job of an IGN reviewer to tell you whether this product is fun or not? Mm-hmm. I mean... At a basic level, yeah, like you are doing that, but IGN and many other outlets have decided to be more critical in the past. So it's weird. It it almost feels like they kind of have to swallow some sort of uh, amount of pride because they understand this game is just going to be so huge. It feels in some ways 
disingenuous to me. Do you think so? Um, I'm sure I can actually say this with absolute certainty that not everyone in the in the building was on board with this approach. I'm I'm not sure if it's disingenuous more so than it is uh flippant towards the people that thought differently on the game. Um they like they felt whoever they is, the shadowy overlords, cuz I I I don't think the writer of this review was responsible for this sidebar. Um they decided that the sidebar was them throwing the people of their staff a bone um, and including an explanation and referencing the situation. They thought, there we go. Hands are clean. We're done with that. Uh, I'm not sure if that's disingenuous as much as it is just... Uh, Digging their heels in, I guess. What, uh, knowing what they were go always going to do, and then coming up with the justification for being able to do it. Does that make sense? Like I, I don't, I don't think it was ever they weren't going to cover it, and then they decided that they could get a bunch of views. I think there was never a question whether they were going to cover this. Absolutely, shit. but even in that sense, like. <laughs> When they've taken stances before on certain issues, and all of a sudden it's like, well, and it's not that they're not taking a stance, but just kind of above all else, when you know there's people on the staff there who feel very differently, they say, our job is ultimately to tell you if this is fun or not. And that's where we're, that's the stance we're going to take here. And that alone, uh, I don't want to know, I don't know, I don't want to say it's like a tone deaf in a sense, but uh, I can't help but at the very least just feel bad for all the people who have to stand behind that statement i don't know uh something that i mean i went to journalism school i think about this stuff a lot i work in media currently um and especially from a journalist's approach you always want to feel like you have your own voice and you have the power to change things whether that be in the world or in your community or even at your company. And I just, it's, it's kind of a sad thing to accept, but I just don't think that's the case. Um, specifically at your company, uh, your company gives you the job and they have no obligation to then like, follow what you say and i wish that they did i wish that for my sake i wish that for other people's sake to some extent but i i don't i don't know what to tell people when they're shocked that a company chose to be a company because it, it seems like that's always what happens i don't know it's it's not like the part of this i feel like i'm the most hung up on the ign side of things mm -hmm. um I, I feel like my feelings are always more mixed up in how the public is kind of handling it. Like the press, I do kind of understand, especially with all the layoffs we've kind of seen in the press. Like I, I find it very hard to kind of like 
like really like uh want to lash out at anyone for making this decision especially when uh, a lot of people behind these sites are so visibly not on board with the decision uh it's just it just goes to show just how complicated this really is and a lot of people make it sound like it is a simple binary kind of decision of like this is a very black and white situation but it's 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 not even though we're talking about a wizard game here the wizard game that everyone's talking about it's like no that's there's a lot more writing on it than uh, I think a lot of people maybe realize or not that maybe I would I would I would imagine a lot of people do realize how much is uh, on the table here for these websites even if it costs them everything but certain issues are very important uh, and they do care about this these issues a lot uh, and these are these issues with trans people and how how JK Rowling is kind of taking uh, a lot of her time to actively make sure trans lives are not not respected out there um, is very understandable. Uh, I, I can't, I can't, you know, uh, I, I can't blame anybody for feeling the way that they do. But I don't know if these outlets kind of have their back against the wall and have to make this decision. I'm, I'd be curious to see how the websites with the least amount of coverage uh, if they have to deal with any layoffs later as a result of this, because this is probably one of the biggest, uh, uh, the largest amount of coverage they will get this entire year, just going past them. That's true. Um, I would I would like to think that there's not a straight line of people lose their job because they chose not to cover Hogwarts Legacy. Mm-hmm. But um, I I don't know. Uh, we're covering it here, and we don't make any money. Uh, we mm-hmm. just thought it was something interesting to talk about. Uh, is there any more threads to pull out here? Uh, my a summation of my thoughts is a nice gesture that has turned into a total disaster, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel pretty similar about it, and I don't. I I've said it before in the pod. I, I don't think you're planning on getting the game or had any interest in getting it. I, I know I never had any interest, like just as a from the perspective of I don't care that much about Harry Potter, so it's easier for me to kind of say, like, oh, I'm I'm not gonna get this game and be a part of this. I I have had interest for the record. I mean, I grew up with Harry Potter, I read all the books. Um mm-hmm. I've always wanted a cool Harry Potter RPG, just like what every freaking review has said of this game Mm -hmm. but um i i think my plan will be to wait a little bit and get a used copy so that i can i can at least show my solidarity in that way even if i don't like the approaches that some people have taken with the whole situation um but uh if anyone wants to give me shit for playing the game at all, it's like, I, I don't really want to hear it. Honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I would have done my part if I prevented money from going straight to them, I guess. Okay. Well, that's Hogwarts legacy. Hopefully the last time we talk about this controversy. Mm-hmm. Now it is time for what we've been playing, but you may, you may think, Oh, they're ending on what, they've been playing uh just so so egotistical like we care oh you're gonna you're gonna care about this one i think 
All right, Mark, I want you to start, though, because I, I'm the one that's teasing stuff here. Mm-hmm. But but maybe you have something exciting that I I have no idea about, so let's hear it. I have only played Fire Emblem Engage since the last time we've recorded it. In the span of these two weeks, I have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time in this game. I think I just hit 120, 125 hours in Fire Emblem Engage right now, which... Is a lot. You, I'm you've go how long beaten it, right? No, Owen, I have not beaten the game yet. What? I I have a story to tell as to why that is the case. It's nothing tragic has happened or anything. It's just I'm playing on the hardest difficulty. Oh and there's a God. lot of maps that take at least two hours uh, to just attempt a run at. That doesn't mean I win the map. I just make an attempt at it. There's been a couple of maps that have been super tricky. Uh, that I really have to kind of take my time. Some of those 120 hours is probably me stepping away as well. But, you know, it's still a lot. I go to how long to beat. It says it only takes 40 hours to beat the game. And main doing some extra up to like 60 hours. And from my experience, if things weren't this hard, that sounds about right, really. Mark, but... I, 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 I just want you to... <sighs> I mean, if it's worth it to you, okay. I've had a lot of fun with it. Like, don't get me wrong. I have loved a lot of it, but I'm at the point where I am fairly certain I only have three chapters left in the game. If I just want you to know, if you ever say that you don't have time for something, I these are the moments I'm going to be pointing to. It's like, well, I mean, you made yourself take 120 hours on a 40-hour game. <laughs> Could have probably found time there. Possibly could have, but I understood that this was maybe going to happen. When when these kind of games happen, I put all the time aside. It's like, all right, this is this is what I'm doing right now. But I'm at a point where I'm feeling kind of burnt out, and I might just be lowering the difficulty to get through the rest of the game, which is really disappointing. Knowing that I've come so far and I've almost done this, like this, the hardest difficulty in this kind of game, like a tactics game. I think ideally is not really for a first playthrough kind of thing. And that's my big takeaway here is that I don't think I will ever play another Fire Emblem for my first playthrough on the hardest difficulty because things could have been easier if I kind of understood what worked in the game better versus other things, investing in certain characters, knowing how to raise certain characters a certain way and just how to manage items. Cause there's a whole, whole blacksmith part of the game where like you're upgrading weapons. You only have so much money to work with. You only have so many ingredients to work with. Uh, and then with all the emblems, all the other fire emblem characters, like they can kind of like bless weapons one at a time. So knowing who will mix well with what, uh, and knowing when you'll have certain emblems throughout the game is something easy to kind of plan around, which I just couldn't do because I hadn't played the game before. So, Maybe I wouldn't be in the position I am. Maybe things would be a little bit easier if I knew what was coming, but I don't. The worst part is I've been warned by uh, one of my friends that the next chapter I have to do is probably going to be the hardest chapter I've done so far. Do you at and least think if if you do lower it down, even if you were to go to like normal or something, um, do you think you would be like a master of this game on a normal difficulty? 
I'm not sure. People say it's still pretty hard and normal, but like I imagine anything I've been stuck at so far would just not nearly be as difficult. I don't know uh, if it's as simple as just enemies have lower stats. I've definitely compared some notes with uh, one of my friends who's played the game. And like one thing that is specifically different, there's a, a class type in this game, Owen. That's kind of like a healer. It's a support unit where like, if they put themselves next to another unit, they can use the skill where they can tank one hit from one of these, uh, from any of the units that are next to them, which is really good, very good support unit. You can just protect, block big damage this way. On my difficulty, once these enemy units hit half health, they have an extra skill that's just self-destruct and they fucking explode because they're not going to be useful after they tank that one hit. So then they just run over to you and just kamikaze and do crazy damage. Which, that's not really like one of the biggest <laughs> obstacles I have to go through on the hardest difficulty, but it's just the lengths of uh, maps can be very different. Units can behave in completely different ways on the hardest difficulty. Even though some characters can be really broken, well, you can make them, but uh, one thing about this game that I cannot stand, but also I kind of like a lot, but I can't stand it more than I like it. Is that in a lot of past Fire Emblem games, uh, I mean, in every Fire Emblem game, there's an accuracy system where you have the 80%, 90%, whatever, you have a certain amount of percent of hitting. And a lot of past Fire Emblems, those numbers are not completely accurate. Like, they're definitely tweaked a little bit to kind of like be more in your favor. This game is not the case. And I know of this, this is a common thing on all difficulties. It isn't just me. But I've missed too many uh, 86%. I've missed a 93%. I have been demolished by people who have 17% chance of hitting me. It is true RNG. And it's just hard. I feel like I can't rely on anybody. I feel like there's like three people on my team I can rely on. And no one else can get the job done. I have so many units that even though I've trained them so much, they still die in one hit. There's just nothing I can do about it, Owen. Sometimes it's really disheartening. Last night, I got very close to being a chapter I've been stuck on. But it just wasn't in the cards. It wasn't in the cards. I lost. I and had to start over. You may disagree, but every single time you've explained one of these tactics games on the hardest difficulty, it actually sounds impossible. Because possible like, it's, it's definitely it's possible but there there is too much management going on to actually take it on without some sort of guidance it seems because it, conceivably there could be what in any given map what is canonically considered the right moves but because you didn't do things correctly with managing your party, you'll just never win that battle. Or even worse, Owen, sometimes you do everything right, but the enemy had a 17% chance of hitting you, and they took they get the hit. Or worse, they have a 2% chance of getting a critical hit, and your tankiest unit dies because enemy just all of a sudden can do triple damage for free and that's that's the worst of it but 
I swear, I've had a lot of fun. But I just want to be done with this game already. Especially because there's an Octopath 2 demo just sitting there after today's Direct as well. Um, yeah, I, I care about your health. And I want you to do things that don't make games take triple the amount of time. I think I think it would be better for you. I don't know. Depends on the game. It really depends on the game. Hard probably would have been fine. But I thought I had what it took. And it's still possible. I will feel very accomplished if I can pull off this maddening win. But right now it is taking its toll. And that's all that's all I've played. I did not touch Yakuza three in the past two weeks. Another game I still have not beaten this year. Um just fire emblem. I shared this uh in one of our group chats. I'll say it here just because Fire Emblem's a similar game. We already mentioned how we'll be playing XCOM two. I think my approach for that game is gonna be to play on easy but have permadeath on. Because I could never, I could just play normal and not have permadeath on and it would be fine, I'm sure. I'm not seasoned enough in these games to have any assumption that I would even be good at easy. Because I basically never play tactics games. Um, But I really like the stakes of permadeath. So as long as I'm not losing 10 people every battle... Uh, I think it would be really fun to do. I think, I don't. Th- I think it's a totally fine way to try to take on XCOM. I think I'm definitely gonna do normal permadeathon because at least in Fire Emblem, I still play with permadeathon. Um, but I always just either restart a mission if someone dies. But and and the games at this point, modern day Fire Emblem has this mechanic where you can kind of turn back time. Uh, gives you up to 10 charges per, per mission, which is, I think, perfect for someone who plays like me. But a big part of wanting to save units is because like there's support conversations later on that I kind of want to see more of. XCOM isn't going to have anything like that. So if a character dies, getting a new one doesn't feel like I'm missing out on content. So I, I feel like permanent on paper sounds like the way to play XCOM. I agree. All right. Uh, I have a few games to go over. And I'm going to save the best for last. Uh, first one is, I guess, an expansion, although not officially an expansion. More of an update that might be on my end-of-the-year games list if I play it enough. <coughs> is uh, Hitman Freelancer, which oh. is this recent update to the game that is essentially the equivalent to what you do with Zelda randomizers. It's in many ways kind of like a Hitman randomizer where they updated the game to have this mode where you have a safe house and there are campaigns you can do. And these campaigns all are semi-roguelike where... Uh, there's some sort of like mini story to them, but the key to it is that 
it takes you around the maps of all three Hitman games. It can be in uh, a map from any of the games. Mm-hmm. The target can be anyone in the map. So there is no like, oh, person in the tallest tower is is your target. Like they they could just be considered a syndicate member, but they're a janitor in a highly populated area or something. Um, and the weapons you get all depend on either what you brought from your safe house, uh, or what you find. And the cool thing about that is that there's a whole meta game to this, which is filling your safe house with equipment. You start with nothing. And you just have to go into the first mission. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll leave that first mission successfully with a pistol. And now you have a pistol in your safe house. Uh, And they give you like rewards all along the way so that you can help build up your stash a little bit. This has been, I've only played a few hours, but it's been an awesome way to get back into Hitman. I talk all the time about how much I love these games and the levels are so deep to begin with. The fact that they have the dedication and the awareness to know that like we made these awesome levels and we can do a lot with them. Um I just think Freelancer is is a great use of all of the work that they've put in since 2016 making these games. I mean it sounds almost kind of roguelike-esque almost. It is. There's also an element of like failing campaigns and stuff. I haven't fully grasped every single mechanic of this, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's a, it's a good time. Anything that gets me to uh, go knock out a chef and dress up as a cook um, just so that I can have eyes on my target. Like it's just great. These games are just great. I love them. Uh, the next game I've been playing, I've only played about two levels of it, but I'm mostly as impressed as everyone else. And that's Hi-Fi Rush, the game that was shadow dropped from Mm. the developer direct. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, if you haven't seen it yet, it's this very early 2000s cartoon inspired action platformer. And the main gimmick of the game is that everything is on beat to the music that is playing. So we've seen stuff like this with something like, uh, what was it called? Metal Hell Singer, where that's an action rhythm game. This is also an action rhythm game, but there's some pretty cool elements to it. One, it's kind of character action, borderline... I think the combat is borderline Kingdom Heartsy, um, mm. but may, maybe it gets deeper and starts bordering on a actual character action game. I have no idea. Uh, but uh, this game, the way it uses rhythm is cool from a natural standpoint of if you're good at it right away, it's obviously satisfying. Doing things on beat is always satisfying if you're fighting in this game on beat. 
you're having a good time. But if you're not, they have quite a bit of assistance going for you where your attacks will still always land on the beat and all of your steps will always be on the beat. Like it, it makes sure to kind of bridge that gap for you to some extent and you'll earn better scores the more on beat you are, but you're not losing if you have like poor rhythm. But uh, I also think that this game could train you to get better rhythm to some extent. I actually like the personality of the game. The opening trailer uh, that was shown at the developer direct made me scared from a Forspoken standpoint. Some people have said that because it seemed like it had the same cringy tone. It turns out in practice, having this be based on like a mid-2000s cartoon... In practice, it's nowhere near as cringy, and actually, I think this game is pretty funny. Like, I've laughed quite a few mm. times. Um, I, I've i heard a lot of good things about the characters as the game goes on, uh, and right now, I, I find them relatively charming, and I'm having a good time. The, the main thing I have to say about Hi-Fi Rush is I'm going to try and get Peter evicted from this podcast if he doesn't play it. Really? What? You think he'd like it that much? If a cartoony 3D action platformer that everyone is saying is great comes out and he doesn't play it, I I can't listen to anything he says anymore. That is fair. It is more it has some rhythm to it though. Peter, I don't think he likes music. The music's really good in it and there's a rhythm aspect to the game. I I, I think Peter can, this game has met him 90% of the way. I think he can give the 10%. Maybe he could. <laughs> uh, for I... all I know, he started. Uh, I have no idea. But, um, so Hi-Fi Rush, I, I think I'm going to start dedicating a lot more time to it this uh, weekend, probably. Now the next game. It's been well documented. I've been playing on my Nintendo Switch. Mark already mm. knows what I've been doing because he caught me. I thought I was offline for everything. I thought I was keeping it secretive. And this is the moment where I get to claim that I deserve royalties on the copy of Fire Emblem Engage that was sold to Peter Gorski because he's been convinced that I'm playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not, I'm sorry to disappoint. Um, I'm not sure if it was clear based on like me sounding like an idiot asking questions about the game to Mark. Uh, I'm not playing Fire Emblem Engage. And if he's listening, I'm very sorry to disappoint him. Because I did what I referenced wanting to do. About a month ago. I bought. Nier Automata. The end of Yorha edition. On Nintendo Switch. And I have beaten. Endings A through E. Before this podcast. I finished the entire game. <coughs> and I'm choking out here. Just explaining it to you. I'm I'm very proud, Owen. I didn't think something like this would be possible. I wish Peter was here only to 
to really get to experience this first well, thing and just hear his reaction. We'll we'll hear it in time, but he'll have to Goddamn. be on the record to some extent for the listeners as to what his reaction was. But if he listens to this beforehand, I mean, we we can take joy in whatever his reaction may be. Sorry, I had to drink water here. I My throat is like going nuts as I get to the biggest part of the episode. <clears throat> but Owen, you got to tell us uh, what you think. You're, you're, you're really fresh off the end of this game. What are you feeling right now? What are you thinking? Overall, I, I think I liked it quite a bit. Um, it's a complicated game because I think... It's uh, it's whole is better than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Where I actually expected <clears throat> to really like the combat of this game. Honestly, not that crazy about it. It's fine. It's stylish to some extent. Uh huh. I didn't think the mechanics were very deep there. Um, I also felt like I was really bad at it. And the way I hold a controller was not good for like shooting and aiming and attacking all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially in like the two B sections where you're more of a character action type of player, um, I really I kind of struggled. I played most of the game on normal. And I was not afraid to drop it down to easy if I needed to. Because one, I was actively trying to beat this game as fast as I could because I wanted to be able to do this. And two, I just didn't find the combat all that engaging. Oh, I know. Because you're saying you uh, weren't super into the combat. Uh how many different weapon types did you find or even different pod types? Cause I know that's a lot of stuff that's hidden behind some side quests stuff. You won't necessarily find unless you're looking for it. And that kind of gives combat a bit more flavor on top of a bunch of chips. You can kind of unlock that really enhance abilities. I, uh, I played around with the chips a little bit. I basically found no pods or if I did, I never even looked at them. Um, They're I, very I hard liked, to find. I liked my laser. So I was satisfied enough with that. But um, yeah, admittedly, I did probably like 10 to 15 side quests. I, I wanted to get an idea of what they were like. And that's another aspect that uh, as a singular piece, I didn't think the side quests were anything to really write home about. A lot of fetch questy type of stuff. But, um, the, what I interpret as the reward for doing them, there's some good personality in these side quests, at least, even if they're not having you do anything all that interesting. I always thought the dialogue with the characters that were giving me the quest was always either funny or interesting. So that made it worthwhile enough. I don't know what uh, your general take on side quests and near is. Um, a lot of them I really like because there's a couple of songs that exclusively play only at the very end of side quests that really kind of set the tone for them. Just 
Some side quests don't end very well by some somber notes and just play these unique tracks and just kind of like uh, just kind of transitions very smoothly with the help of this music from just like, oh, you're stuck with this last moment from the side quest and you just have to get on with what you were doing again uh, and just kind of have a song play. Uh, makes me almost think of like a Death Stranding when a song plays, kind of just like you kind of just marching to the beat of this song that really sets the tone except you're riding off of what is uh the ending of some of these side quests that i really really liked mm-hmm. um so admittedly didn't get as deep in that as maybe i would have wanted to if i was playing it under normal circumstances but you know may- maybe that's not actually the case because what i was here for was the experience of uh, the main campaign, I guess. And I got that. Um, one thing I was kind of surprised by, I thought uh, you might find this take interesting. Near is kind of a kingdom hearts game. In a way. Yeah. It in action ways. It's kind of similar. You have your gummy ship sections. Uh, the, the philosophical questions behind everything definitely take a darker turn, no doubt. But mm-hmm. uh, I just uh, I I was seeing a lot of Kingdom Hearts similarities here, it, even with also some of the personalities of some of the characters reminded me of like you know this this person probably could fit into Organization Thirteen. True, definitely Adam and Eve probably could arguably fit in there. Um, I, I, I think 9S could, could pass as a, uh, Kingdom Hearts character. They, they, most people probably could. I mean, a lot of the organization or their whole shtick is that they don't have emotions. And a lot of these characters are kind of dealing with the fact that they're led to believe they don't have emotion and it kind of slips through the cracks sometimes and they aren't sure how to, what to do with that. And it's not necessarily the main point of everything, but it's, it's a, it's an important part of the story and the character stories. Nonetheless. Um, I know. I don't think Peter liked it personally. I liked playing as nine F's. I liked the hacking gameplay. Oh, interesting. I, I don't mind it either. It's just, the most repetitive part of the game just because you want to get get on to the newer content. I think it's fun for a while, but after a while I was certainly done with it because I wanted to see what was next. And I well, think it's true, but uh-huh. uh, I mean, I guess spoiler alert, uh, Peter may want to know this. You continue playing as nine S to some extent. Uh, like your time with him isn't done. I, I, I feel like you, you sold him a false bill of goods on that one. Well, I didn't want to make it seem like he was done, done, but he'll, he'll cross that bridge when he gets there. It's not, I'm, I'm very careful about talking about C onward. Cause I don't want to allude to anything. Cause there's some, some big moments that happen in there that I don't think Peter has any idea about. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure he doesn't. C. C is the thing that brings the game together, no doubt. Um, mm-hmm. I think it goes on a little bit too long, and an- another thing that Peter probably doesn't want to hear. Um, 
but uh that's when stakes come out in 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 playthrough a it's almost it's annoying that they decide to have all these different playthroughs instead of just splitting it up like a normal story because all it is is a barrier to what the game actually is. Uh, if you only played playthrough A, I don't know how you could think this was anything more than like a solid couple dozen hours. And, mm-hmm. and that that's only a couple dozen if you decide to do side quests. I mean, I, I beat playthrough A in about like 11 hours. Um. Well, and and it felt more like a a solid distraction than anything. There, there's nothing really too deep going on in the story. Gameplay, as I already established, is like good, not great. Um, it's the first like the first story, but is the A and B storyline almost feels like an episode, like an arc of a story. Yeah, yeah, no, and absolutely. Then, and then C kind of really picks up after that and tells arguably just a different story and then once you finish the game you kind of have to put all these different parts together and it's like this is the story of Nier Automata what what do you make of it I will also say I never knew what to expect with how much it got hyped up like I always thought assumed there would be like one singular reveal or something just that one thing to point to where it's like, now this is why everyone loves the game. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that specific moment exists. But I do think that um, it's just good sci-fi. Like, uh, maybe maybe even better than good to some extent. Um the things that they are kind of heavy-handed about in the beginning of the game become more interesting in Route C. And you get to see a lot of scenes that I I was actually, to some extent, affected by. I, I mean, I wasn't, like, crying or anything while, while playing this game. But it takes some dark turns, and there are some noteworthy moments and another thing i really like about this game is that hacking is the perfect example but there are plenty of other examples it has no issues with becoming another game even if it's just for five minutes and i think that's Mm -hmm. really cool that's one of the biggest accomplishments from the gameplay wise is that it just blends so much together transition so quickly so seamlessly back and forth to everything whether even if you just want to look at just the hacking or that's a whole other thing or just the perspective then just the twin stick shooter elements of where you're kind of in the ship like all of it just kind of flows so so well uh that i i think just moving through it like that it it makes up for the gameplay kind of being easy to just kind of mash buttons through just because the the design of it all is just kind of a treat to go through um, if I played this game on hard, I absolutely would have hated it. <laughs> there are moments in this game, especially towards the end where you're just being bombarded by enemies. And if I was dying all the time with no real recourse, it, 
it would have been it would have been tough. But I I'm ultimately okay with the fact that I rushed through the game because I got what was ultimately a fairly well paced story, mm-hmm. and that's what I was looking for. Uh, I would. I wonder what our count Peter's even at because I beat it around 25, 26 hours, all the endings. Wow. Okay. Um, let me see how long it'd be. I feel like the average, like is I, I, a little bit longer than that. I, I think it is a little bit longer and I can be pretty fast with games sometimes, especially if I'm just golden pathing, because if I'm golden pathing, I have no reservations about like, I'll use fast travel if I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I let myself occasionally get sidetracked. I had a few play sessions where I was like, oh, I'm just, I have these like five side quests piled up. I'm, I'm just going to run through all these so that I can uh, see what it's all about. But for the most part, um, I didn't feel many things pulling me away. There's no real... I never saw any real incentive to explore a ton. Um, and I think some of the set pieces are cool. Like there's an amusement park in this. When I came across the amusement park, I, I thought that was an awesome place to be. But uh, unless I'm missing something drastic, it's not like there's a bunch of secrets where I could have spent 25 hours in the amusement park alone. Mm-hmm. Um, no. um, I mean, people like the amusement park because you wa- wander in there and there's a lot of the machines just kind of live in their own life and you can attack them, but they're not ever going to swing back or that's not, not ever is not the right way. Some of them will eventually start hitting you back, but if you don't hit them, they don't hit you. It's a interesting kind of moment for the game. I think a lot of people like there is one moment in the game that people do point to as like the moment it doesn't sound like it resonated with you, but people point at it a lot, a lot, a lot. I have a, I have a the moment, um, and we can say that off pod because I don't, I don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be the same thing as everyone else's, but I, I do have a moment that was a, an eye opener for me. Um, other thoughts. I think the I was initially thinking that the characters were pretty weak and they're either stoic or in the case of 9S he has kind of like the the cringy naive boy thing going on. Um by the end of it though, I was in on the characters. I really I liked Tubi, I liked 9S. I liked Pascal, uh, a robot you come across. Um there's another character that I won't reference that uh, I liked as well. Um, the You alluded to this with perspective shifts. I, I think it can be kind of a gimmicky thing to do, but I, I still always like when the game does something to... Like, oh, what, why is my menu on the screen right now? Like, oh, you're doing something interesting here. I'm kind of a mm-hmm. sucker for it. Whenever shit like that happens, I, I just think it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other game that actually crossed my mind towards the end of this game, um, 
as something that was kind of similar to it, only this game just sticks the landing ten times better, is a, is a game like Control. Control, like, kind of goes down the same route that um, this game goes down, only they, they just completely abandon anything interesting by the end. Um, another thing I don't really want to elaborate on more because I don't want to give uh, too much uh, attention to stuff here, but um, yeah, I beat Nier Automata. I did it before Peter. Peter has been playing this game for over a year, and he lost a bet and had to play it. I did it fully willingly, and I ultimately enjoyed the game. And did you know that there are characters in Nier Automata that are characters from Nier Replicant? I bet I could guess who they are. Okay. And you know that it is like a sequel with a story from Nier Replicant continues on and set like the worlds are connected. Yeah, Nier yeah. No, happens. I uh, I definitely understood that by the end. I okay. If if I if I played it before Near Replicant came out, I never would have known that there was a previous game that they are referencing. Because uh, in case the listeners forgot, Near Replicant is a remake, essentially, right? Mm-hmm, it is. Um, I'm not sure if I would have understood that if I played this game sight unseen and had no idea it was a part of a series. Uh, but because I knew that, I I was understanding the references immediately, especially since. A word like a uh, gestalt isn't exactly seen very often. I know that the first near was also called near gestalt, so mm-hmm. I, I I could put it together that those games were connected. Mm-hmm. It's weird because when they released the game in the West, it was called near gestalt, but in Japan and Europe, it was near replicant. It's the same game, except Is, isn't there isn't there a near one? Like, like just call near or no 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 i'm wrong i think it was near in the states near gestalt in europe and near replicant in japan in japan the main character you play as uh is so you you have like a sister that you're trying to take care of who is sick but in the western versions of the game you are not uh the same character you are this this girl's father instead of her brother because they thought that would resonate better with the Western audience that if you are a tough grizzled dad instead of um can you restart that sentence? I'm losing you here. Hold on. Um I was saying that it was it was weird because uh, in the Western version of the game, you play as a father of this girl. And she's like sick and you're taking care of her. But in the Japanese original version, you're just her older brother. And because of that difference, they're kind of slightly different characters where people, because the main character in that game's name is Nier. Uh, and people call in the Western version Papa Nier and then his brother Nier. They're ultimately the same story, but just because of the age of Papa Nier and the dynamic with his daughter is just a father-daughter thing versus uh, brother and being closer to age of some of the other characters. It 
is kind of different, just in vibe and just character relationship. But other than that, same story, but just uh, a weird thing. They kind of had to mash up because they thought uh, the game would not sell if you played as someone's older brother instead of being a father. Interesting. And do these games... I'm I'm looking... Okay, release timeline, it looks like they might... It's technically part of the Drakengard series. Is Drakengard relevant at all? It's weird. I mean, the way that these games narratively connect together, it's not like it is telling a grand story of, like, the people who came before. Each one is, like, just a chapter of things that are happening in the world. And Nier is kind of like... The story of Nier, weirdly enough, uh, ties down to a specific ending from Drakengard 3, where there's an ending in Drakengard... I think it's Drakengard 3, specifically. There's an ending where it's like... Because that's a, more of a fantasy kind of world you're in. And one of the endings is you accidentally warp this dragon enemy who's a final boss he gets warped to new york city his corpse lands there and on this corpse that lands in new york city is like this magical disease that slowly starts to wipe out mm, humanity okay and triggers the beginning of near and then stuff happens in near that ultimately builds into the world of Automata many, many, many generations later. Interesting. Interesting. So it's like the story of like a world where just like things are developing and then just about the people that are caught in between these major historical events, arguably all of them pretty, pretty tragic. All right. Well, I think, it is okay to end this episode of the BNY Gaming Podcast as someone who has beaten Nier Automata. True. Endings as A someone. through E. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Well, as long as there are no scheduling issues, we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody.